Today we're going to try to put a piece in the puzzle of the resurrection of the dead, of the new body we're going to receive at the sound of the trumpet. It's important, I think, for us Christians to see the whole picture. I know most of us started out accepting Jesus because we were told it's the only way to heaven. But as you grow in God, you should be curious about why. And and I know one thing about God, he's never afraid of our questions. Don't be afraid to ask him why. The Holy Spirit will be glad to teach you why. Well, the piece of the puzzle we want to tackle today is understanding the why of the resurrection and the order of the resurrection of the dead. In our history of mankind, we have different dispensations, different groups of people that have different kind of rules they live by. There was a the time period between Adam and Noah, and then there was a time period between Noah and Abraham, and then from Abraham to Jesus, and then from Jesus to us. Even in our time, when we, we look at the date, we can see that the pyramids in Egypt were built before Christ, B.C., and then we were born after his death, A.D. And so, even in our modern time, we use the birth and the death of Jesus as a turning point in the history of time. For us, and in the Bible, it's also a turning point. There's Things change when Jesus came. So the question we're going to answer today and the piece of the puzzle we want to put in is what did God do with all the people before Jesus? Because there was more time before Jesus than after Jesus. And what did God do with all those souls that were born? When a a parent, a mom and a dad get together, you actually create a child. That's what me and my wife did. We created two creatures, Harrison and Ava. Two creatures that never existed before, we brought them into existence. And the moment a baby is conceived, it's going to live for eternity. It's going to live for eternity. It's a never-ending life. They never will stop existing. And so every child conceived from Adam to now is somewhere. And they're going to be somewhere for eternity. The question is why... And how did God redeem them? And did God redeem them? And how did he redeem him? And that's some of the questions that we're learning as we're tackling the new body, that we're going, the eternal body we're going to receive. This is an important subject because when you see the pieces of the puzzle, it helps you to understand there's a reason why all this is taking place. For instance, why didn't Jesus just come right after Adam? Why wasn't it Adam, Eve, and then Jesus? Why did God not just fix Adam? I remember asking God one time, well, why didn't you forgive Adam when he sinned? And the Lord told me, I forgave him. And sure enough, I can see the picture of Adam saying, I'm sorry, Father, I've sinned, forgive me. And God saying, I forgive you. But the problem is now you are a different species. You're of the devil. Your nature is of sin, and I'm of light. So it wasn't a matter of God just forgiving Adam and making it all better. It was that God had to make a plan to restore the pathway to God after Adam sinned. Here, the seed of the whole human race had turned from light to darkness when he sinned. And that means that every human born from Adam 
is born with that nature of sin. And God couldn't fix it. The greatest thing you'll learn when you understand the order of things is that God honors free will. I remember Pastor Dave saying one time that the, the most costly price that heaven ever, has ever paid was given the right to free will. That's why God didn't take Lucifer when he birthed sin in heaven, that he didn't just squish him and make him disappear. That's why he didn't just take Adam and, and destroy him and start afresh. It's because God honors free will. God honors your free will. And so let's start over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is answering the question of the resurrection of the dead. And there was a message going on in the church that said, well, there's no resurrection of the dead. We just die and that's it. And Paul is correcting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So he's making it clear that if Jesus was raised from the dead, the reason for that is so that you could be raised from the dead. Talking about receiving a new body. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead did not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And I love this because it's really tying us in together as the body of Christ. He's tying in those who are gods are going to be risen from the dead. It's not going to be a chosen few. It's everyone who belongs to Christ is risen from the dead. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So all those before us have perished as well. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if all we do is we go to sleep and, and we turn to dust, then that's our life. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men the most miserable or pitiable. So if this life is it, this is it, this life, there's no afterlife, then we're miserable men. Now he goes on. This is what we're going to talk about here. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now the first, first fruits, when you see that word, it means when you have a harvest, it's the first cut. It's the first fruit, the first portion of the fruit that you harvest. So it says here, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits, the first one, of those who have fallen asleep. So he's now telling the story in all of chapter 15 about the resurrection of the dead, the new body we'll receive, how, practically, how we receive a new body, and what's going to happen to us. But here he's referring to those who have fallen asleep as to those in the dispensation before Christ. So I want you to see Christ is the turning point. There's those before Christ, and there's those of us after Christ. Those of us after Christ have to wait until the trumpet sounds to receive our new body, our eternal body. 
But here he's talking about all of those who were before Jesus, who fell asleep before Jesus. And since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So now we see that he's saying the way that Adam brought sin and death into the earth, Jesus is bringing also not just life for heaven, but a resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now this verse, when you understand it, it's really important to say that Adam made a way for everyone to die. Jesus made a way for everyone to live. It doesn't mean, and I can see how some people, when you start to get a glimpse of the love of God, you start to wonder if he's able to get everyone saved if Jesus is called all-inclusive, meaning everyone got saved at Jesus. No one's going to hell, which is contrary to so much of the Bible. But I can see the love of God. The love of God is that every person gets saved. That is the love of God. That is the goal, the plan, the purpose, the, the heart of God, that every man be saved and no one perish. But because of the free will of man, that's why I know that he can't just make you saved. Because if he could have just made you saved, he would have done that with Adam. And not have to get bring Jesus even, just fix Adam. The reason we have to ask Jesus in our heart is not a pride thing that God wants you to bow your knee to him and, and, and show me honor. And, and No, it's because legally Adam sinned. Legally Adam made the choice. He had ownership of the earth ownership of the human race, and Adam sinned and legally gave the devil the ownership of the human race. That's why we must ask our own self, Jesus, in in our heart, so that legally he can birth us out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. It's your will. He needs you to choose him. He can't just come and fix you. What a wonderful thing that would be just for him to fix us and not have to make choices (laughs) boy, we'd all be in better shape, wouldn't we? For in Adam all die, and even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That just means that anyone who's made alive has to come through Jesus. But each one in his own order. Now this is an important word in this picture. Each one in his own order. So now he's talking about order, like one, two, three, four. There's an order to the resurrection. Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ that is coming. So here is the order that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about an order of first the resurrection of the dead happened to Jesus. He's the first fruit. And then those who had fallen asleep before Jesus, they've also been resurrected from the dead and have received their new body, their eternal body. Then at the sound of the trumpet, those who are with Christ at the end. That's us. We are after Jesus' death. But there is a whole world of people before the birth of Christ. What did God do with all them, and how could they get to heaven? Well, let's look at that a little bit. Our topic is putting in the puzzle piece of the resurrection of the dead in order. So I'm going to go over here to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And we're going to start here. Let's see. Matthew 27. We'll start over in uh, verse 45. 
Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the moment, I believe, that sin, Jesus became sin for us, and God turned his back on him, so he'll never have to turn his back on you. Some of those who stood there, when he heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now look closely here. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And the coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So this is telling us that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but there were many bodies of the saints, saints with bodies, that wandered around Jerusalem, that were raised from the dead. And these were the, the rocks splitting, were the graves and the tombs being opened as these saints from the past who had fallen asleep were now raised from the dead. So there's an order that God had to rescue all of us. And that is important to understand that why did God have to wait 4,000 years from Adam until Jesus? Why wasn't it just Adam and the first child was Jesus? <laughs> Why did he have to wait 4,000 years? Why are we still in this body? Why is it not finished yet? Why are we not on the new earth yet? Well, the simple reason is because there's a legality to what God had to do to get us saved, to get us born. It's an amazing miracle when you think about it. You're born in one species called the children of Adam the human race. And God legally found a way for you to be born out of that family and into a new species called the children of God. And he's going to inherit the whole earth. Jesus, the final Adam, is going to fully purchase everything the first Adam did. Jesus, the final Adam, will complete what he was supposed to do, the first Adam, and then he will take it, dissolve it, and turn it over to God for a new earth, a new universe, and we'll be standing on the new earth for eternity with God in our new outward body. Today we're talking about those before Jesus. God had a plan for them too. Isn't that amazing that God didn't just think about you in our time period? He thought about all the people before Jesus. God had a plan the moment Adam sinned to bring restoration to everyone who would listen to him. And anyone who'd yield their heart to him, I believe with all my heart that any person anywhere in the world, if they hunger enough for God, for truth, that God will find a way to answer that prayer. It'll either be through a person, it'll be through a, a dream if possible, through an angel. There's many stories I can tell you of people who cried out to God and they never heard of Jesus. They just cried out for truth and all of a sudden they had a vision of Jesus and became born again. Hunger for truth will bring an answer to anywhere in the world. So here, 
it says that the graves were opened up and at the resurrection of Jesus, there are many other saints in their bodies who were resurrected from the dead. Now, where did they come from? What happened when someone died before Jesus? Well, we know that from Abraham, that he called out. He called those things that were not as though they were. He called out and said, there is a Savior that is coming, and I'm going to be saved by him. Let's just go over to Luke Luke 23, starting in verse 39. Then one of the criminals blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that's not heaven. Paradise was not heaven. Before Jesus was glorified, no one was allowed to go to heaven. There was a place that God prepared for his people. I'm going to show it to you in Luke chapter 16. There's a place that God prepared for the people that were waiting for the Savior. This wasn't just Jewish people. It was the Gentiles as well. And we'll go into that in a little bit to show you what qualified people to go into paradise. Paradise was a holding place. It was a beautiful place. It's called paradise. And it was a place that every every Gentile went to when they qualified for heaven. Even when, though they died before Jesus. And it was a place right next to hell. It was in hell. It was connected to hell, where from hell you could see paradise. But paradise was not technically hell. It was in the same location. For the Jewish people, it was called Abraham's bosom, because Abraham called those things not as though they were. That was him calling a savior that wasn't in his generation, but that was coming. And by the faith and obedience as a Jewish person, you could qualify for heaven even if you died and fell asleep before Jesus had even come on the earth. And in Luke 16, we read that story, and and you know it, but I'll just read it quickly. For there's verse 19. There's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there's a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. See, Abraham's bosom is another name for paradise. It was a a place that when you died before Jesus, if you qualified for heaven, that's where you got to go, waiting for the Savior to come. The beggar was carried to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So after death, the rich man was in Hades, in the the tormenting part of hell. And he looked over and saw paradise. He saw Abraham's bosom. 
and that was the holding place for everyone who qualified for heaven before Jesus came. And the people in paradise, or in Abraham's bosom, waited for Jesus to come. And, and see, we know when it talks about Jesus preached in hell. Well, we know that he, we assume he didn't go around to those in Hades, in the tormenting part, and go, na 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 you should have listened. Too bad you're going to be here forever. I'm assuming that when he preached, he went to paradise, to all those Old Testament believers. Old Testament qualified people, and that he uh, went and told them that it's coming time to be resurrected, and they got born again in paradise, in Abraham's bosom, and followed him out of paradise and into their eternity, into heaven, and that they were resurrected. When they got resurrected, it said in their bodies. See, when they were resurrected, all those that came with Jesus's resurrection receive the new eternal body. They already have their eternal bodies. You and I, we have to wait. Our order means we wait until the end of our dispensation. So I want us to see three different time periods here. I want you to see from Adam until Noah, from Noah until Jesus, and Jesus until the trumpet. Okay, those are the three main categories. Now, with Noah until Jesus, Abraham started a new covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Adam. Noah's covenant was for everyone who was born after Noah. But then he made a covenant with Abraham. So the Jewish people, they had a, a special covenant. Now, when I say special, it, it's not special like they're extra special as much as they were the ones that Jesus was being birthed into that family. And so they carried the Savior from Abraham until Jesus. That was the family that God used to bring the word, to bring the law, to bring Jesus through. And so they had their own qualifications, the Israel people, that were different than the rest of the world. But the whole world had the opportunity to go into paradise, whether they knew of Jesus or not. And I'm going to show that to you here in a moment. Let's go over to Isaiah. If I can find that way in the, the back here, Isaiah. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. And I want to read verse 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So here is a prophecy about the dead before Jesus being resurrected at the same time as Jesus and receiving the resurrection, their new outward body. Walked around Jerusalem for a little bit, then off they went into heaven. That grew from Adam until Jesus. They already have their new eternal body. We, if the Lord tarry, if we're on the earth, the body we're wearing, uh, God does not need this body that you're wearing. The, he doesn't need your DNA to make a new body. If you're wearing this body, it will be quickened to a new body. But if you're already in heaven, He doesn't grab your the dust of the earth or your 
DNA from wherever it is on the earth and make a body out of it. It's a new eternal body. But if you are wearing this body, you also will receive a new body in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So now we're going to go back to Genesis. And we're going to read about the time of Noah. See, there was a group of people from Adam until Noah. And what a, a time it was that in those few thousand years, how the world had turned from God in such a, a horrible way. And I say that because our world now is going in the same direction. And don't be confused about what's going to happen. That in our last days will be as in the days of Noah. And the problem with the days of Noah was in the whole earth, there's probably billions of people because people lived, you know, seven, eight hundred years and kept making babies the whole time. The whole world was only one man in the whole world, Noah, who was righteous. And I know some people think that God was angry when he did the flood and he wasn't happy with the people, that's for sure. But the reason for the flood was not anger. It was to rescue that early world. So the early world, we'll call it from Adam until Noah, was all of the descendants of Adam. And they had begun to not just live worldly and fornicate and everything you could think of. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was running rampant through the whole earth. And only one man was left on the earth, and that was Noah who was righteous. Think about that. The whole earth, only one man in the whole earth stood for righteousness. And the reason that Noah was so important was because if Noah had turned from righteousness, God would have no voice on the earth. He had no vessel to use. That means that the, if Noah had turned from righteousness, God would not be able to bring the flood. He would not be able to rescue man, bring Jesus forward. And that would mean that the whole human race would continue for eternity in its condition of darkness, meaning that for the eternity, man would live, be born, live and die, and go to hell. And that's all the world would do, is just produce people to live and die and go to hell, because the Savior could not be sent. That's why Noah was so important to God to rescue him, so that he could bring Jesus through him, the Savior. So the whole world, only one man was righteous. The whole world was full of sin, fornication of all types, Sodom and Gomorrah, all those types. But worse than that, they had mixed all that sin with religion. In other words, when Noah said, God said, you need to be righteous, they would have said, Noah, I know God, I worship God, I know God as good as you do, I'm as good as you are. Quit judging me. And so that is where you're going to see the devil taking the world. And you see it already in the last 20 years. It's shocking how quickly the world has become dysfunctional and unconventional quickly. And it's just going to get worse. But it's going to get worse to the point that soon religion will mingle in with the worldliness and claim to know God as well as the righteous do. So Noah was the only righteous person left, and God had to rescue him so that Jesus could come and be a Savior to even these ones of the world. Why was it so important that the flood came? Was 
not to punish the earth, but to harvest all those souls. Pastor Dave Roberson said that that Noah got in the ark and he preached about it for a hundred years. It took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. And that meant that in those hundred years, the whole earth would have heard of this creature. The ark would have became his pulpit, that a flood was coming and God was sending judgment for everyone to repent. And no one believed him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. But then when the rain came, because before the flood, there was no rain. And when the rain started to come, and it started to keep coming, and it was, I mean, it wasn't just rain. It was the water came up from beneath the earth. So it was earthquakes, and it was like a lot of emotion going on, and earthquakes and that kind of things. The water came up, and when it got to their knees, they would have went to the ark, those who were close, and said, Okay, Noah, let me in. I agree. You're right. And Noah would have said, I didn't shut the door. God shut the door. So I can't open it. And as the waters rose, the people would have climbed trees to get above it. And then they would have climbed to the highest hill. And they would have fought for position on the highest hills. The water kept rising until eventually it was up to their neck. And they knew they were going to drown. At that moment, I'll guarantee many, many, many people around the world repented and God was able to harvest them and when they drowned they went to paradise now I don't know about you but I'd rather drown in judgment and in mercy and end up in paradise for eternity to be with God forever than to live even 800 years and then die and end up for eternity in hell eternity is much longer than even 800 years of life so God's mercy was the flood to harvest the early world from Adam until Noah and let them go into paradise if they repented. I'm sure there were a few that were stubborn, but I'm sure there was a large amount of people that repented and begged God for mercy, and he was able to grant it to them at their last breath. Always remember, God's more interested in putting people in heaven than he is in hell. And and I know that, as I know the love of God, I, I'm... I understand how people can could want to go there, to believe that everyone goes to heaven, that God had to make a way. But as we're learning about that word order, that everything has an order, it helps you to understand the legality that why God couldn't just rescue everyone. That by their free will, they had to accept his path of redemption. And his path of redemption from Adam until Jesus was having the whole world recognize that there was a Savior needed, and a Savior coming. Maybe not in your generation, but if you follow these qualifications, you will qualify to go to heaven after the Savior shows up. But for us, it is that Jesus has already came, and we must be born again, believing that He paid the price for our salvation. And the reason we have to accept Jesus was because by our free will, we have to choose Him to be born out of the family of Adam, which we were legally created by, and to be born again into the family of God. It's not because God's being hard. It's because it's the only way. It's the only way. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Even for the Jewish people. Can you imagine spending all those generations serving God under the law? And then once Jesus showed up, God stood up in the Holy of Holies and ripped the cloth in two and basically said, You can't find me here anymore. You can't come to me anymore through the law, through the Jewish tradition, the Jewish religion. 
only through Christ. That's the only way to go to the Father. In Genesis chapter 9, we're going to talk about the two rules that qualified people to go to paradise and to wait for Jesus to come. And this is for every person from Noah until Jesus. Specifically, once Abraham came into play and the Israelites came from Abraham, once that came into play, they had their own covenant, their own rules they had to follow to qualify. But if you were a Gentile, you never heard of God as far as a Jewish person did. And the Jewish nation is a tiny, tiny nation. It's a small part of the population of the world. So for the majority of people, the two rules we're going to see here would have qualified you to go to paradise and wait for Jesus to come. Verse 1, chapter 9. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, this is after the flood, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So here he is with the eight souls that were brought over from the old world to the new world. And the only people on the earth were these eight souls. Noah was the father of of the sons and his wife and their wives. That means that you and I can trace our heritage back. That if we were to trace back our lineage, we would all come through Noah. Every human on the earth today has the DNA of Noah in us. We had come through Noah and then through Adam. We came through Noah. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast on the earth and every bird of the air. And all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herb. So now God is saying, all the animals, once they begin to multiply, they're yours for food. And then he tells this family. So in essence, he's speaking a message to the whole world because there's only eight souls on the planet. And every one of us, every country has come from this group of people. And God is speaking to them and speaking to Noah and telling them the rules going forward for them to qualify for paradise, for salvation, for Jesus to come and meet them in paradise and say, the Savior has come, now follow me out of paradise in Abraham's bosom, and we shall go into heaven. Jesus had to first be resurrected, and they followed him, and they all received their eternal body. Verse 3, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Now, chapter verse 4, I have a number 1 beside it, because this is the first rule going forward after the flood for a person to qualify for paradise. Now, again, when Abraham came into play, the Jewish people had different regulations. This is for the rest of the world up till Abraham and then the rest of the world around Abraham, these rules. But you shall not eat 
flesh with its life, that is its blood. So when you eat meat, you're not to eat the blood within the meat. And the reason for this was so they could look forward to a Savior, the costly price of the blood of Jesus was the price paid for your salvation. And it's interesting here because he doesn't he doesn't have in here the sacrifices. He just said you shall not eat flesh with the life that is in the blood. So don't eat meat with blood in it. That was the number one rule to qualify for paradise. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man so the same way that your life need to be redeemed you're looking at that animal whose life you took to eat it and you're taking the blood and making it important part of it and it was to symbolize the blood of Jesus for the world so that's the first requirement just don't eat flesh with blood in it verse 6 Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So now he says, now I have a number two here beside verse six, because that is the second rule that was given to the human race, to Noah and his family. Number one, don't eat meat with blood in it. Get the blood out and honor the life of that animal. Because your life will cost blood as well to be redeemed. It was to symbolize a savior. And number two, don't murder a man. Don't be a murderer. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. In verse 7. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bringing forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So he tells the family. Now I want you to multiply and spread across the earth and pass these rules to all your children, your children's children. Make it part of the heritage of man going forward that you obey these two rules. If you obey these two rules, when the Savior comes, you will be in paradise waiting for him. This is for the Gentiles, the whole world. Verse 8 Then God spoke with Noah and said to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant. What's the covenant? That if you obey these two things, you will be in paradise. I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So with you and your descendants. That's you. You and I are a descendant of Noah. So this covenant is good. For you and your descendants that will spread across the world. And that is the dispensation from Noah until Jesus. Now once Jesus came, the rules changed. The only way to go to the Father, because paradise is empty right now. Paradise has been empty for 2,000 years when Jesus resurrected and emptied it. So it's an empty chamber for those who in hell can maybe see the empty chamber. I don't know. But it's an empty, no one's in there anymore. Paradise is not possible. There's no paradise. There's no middle place. You're either go to heaven or hell now, depending on if you're born again. We look back to Jesus. They were looking forward to Jesus. We look back to the cross. They were looking forward to the cross. And he says to them, this covenant with you 
and you will share it with your descendants. So it was the job of Noah and his family to pass this, these two rules, this covenant, to every one of their descendants. Every child, every grandchild, they should have had dinner time together talking about why we have the blood out of the meat, talking about God is sending a Savior, God is redeeming us. Did that happen? No. No, the uh, descendants of Noah didn't do a very good job of passing this on. But as much as it was passed on, as much as men obeyed these two rules through the generations up until Jesus, they would have ended in paradise. Those two rules, that's the covenant. So now let's go back over to 1 Corinthians 15. This is an important piece of the puzzle for you to understand. Because when you see it, you also begin to see how there's a reason why God did everything. There's a reason why we have to wait for the trumpet to sound. There is a reason why those of us after Jesus, unless the Lord tarry, those of us in the last hundred years who have passed away, Christians, they're in heaven, but they don't have their eternal body yet. There's a reason for it all. There's an order to it. I'm trying to find my First Corinthians while I'm talking. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit. So this is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. So he was the first fruit of those before him. And he was also the first fruit of those of us after him. But here he's talking specifically the order of being the first fruit of all of those from Adam until Jesus. But now Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit, after those who are Christ at his coming. So we see the whole plan of God from, from Adam's fall all the way till the sound of the trumpet, the taking of this earth and this universe. And the Bible says that this earth that belonged to Adam will be totally owned by Jesus. And at that moment, he will turn it on fire, the whole world will burn up and the universe will be folded up like a garment. And at this event, there will be a new earth and a new, when it says heavens, it means universe, a new universe. This whole universe, when you look at the stars and you see billions and billions of stars and galaxies, I think they said the Hubble telescope, they, they zoomed it into a dark black spot of space where they couldn't see anything. They held it there for a long time and let the light soak through. And after a while, they could see images and they found, I think, a billion more galaxies <laughs> in that place of space that was dark. That there's billions of galaxies and billions of planets and suns. Well, this was Adam's house. The whole universe was to belong to the children of God, to Adam's house. And all of it is going to be folded up in an amazing event, this world, this universe will be burnt up and folded up like a garment and will be given a new universe and a new earth 
that we will live for eternity on. God will be our Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The new Jerusalem will be on the new earth, and we'll spend eternity together as His children with our new eternal bodies. And there is an order for it. So in these verses here, verses 20 through 25, we understand that the this is the picture, verse 20 through 25, the picture of God's plan for the whole world from Adam until the end of this earth, for man to be not just saved and going to heaven, but to be totally rebuilt with a new uh, nature, a new inner man, and eventually a new outward man. And that lets you know why you're stuck with this outward body. Why didn't God just fix me completely at my salvation? The answer is he couldn't. Legally, he had to make a way for it to be done. So I'll read this one more time as we close. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, those before Jesus. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. For each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. That's us, those who are Christ at his coming. Our dispensation after Christ is waiting for the new body, waiting for that sound of the trumpet. The ones before Christ have already received their new body. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. So death is coming under his feet. It's not done yet. Until we're in the new earth. The work of Christ isn't complete yet. It's already paid for, but he's still, he's still finishing the work. There's still the, the thousand-year reign. There's still the Jesus taking the devil and throwing him into the lake of fire. The final Adam doing what the first Adam should have done. There's still all of this to come yet. The, the rapture, all that's yet to come. The world is getting worse. The world is becoming like the days of Noah. And it's going to continue getting worse, but thank God... By His grace, the church can get stronger and shine a light in darkness. The darker it gets, the brighter the light of Christ shines in you. It's important we share the gospel and keep our hope and faith in Christ. That not only is He planned for a new body for you, a new earth, He's also planned today for touching your life. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the struggles, the battle you have with your emotions, with your natural man the needs you have. You have a Father. Not only did He plan out the whole restoration, rescue mission for the human race uh, at Adam's fail, He's also planned out your uh, how to help you today, how to help you with what you're going through. You're not alone. He's very smart. God's very smart. And He's with you. And He's thinking about you. He cares about you. And He has answers for you. So I want to encourage you. Keep praying. Keep spending time with God. Don't give up on pressing into growing up in Him because there's wonderful things ahead of you. No matter what the devil's throwing at you, no matter what struggles you're going through or suffering with this outward body you have, God's your answer. You have someone who believes in you, thinks about you every day, and that's God, your Father. He loves you. 
I love you too, and thank you for spending time with me today. I'll see you soon.